lights up in my neighborhood. Does anybody else have some lights up? Anybody admit to having their lights still up? <laughs> we have a neighbor who has her lights still up, and honestly, I wouldn't be disappointed if she kept them up because they're the little white lights of the moon. It um, doesn't seem so out of place, but they're beautiful. And um, there's something about light shining in the darkness that's very powerful. Well, the prophet Isaiah, which we heard just a moment ago, spoke about light shining in the darkness. He said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of deep darkness. On them, light has shined. He's talking about a new leader, a new ruler who would come and shine light. Well, as of this country, as of this weekend, our country has a new leader. Some are rejoicing and some are very concerned. And so since it's this season of new beginnings, both in the calendar year, still in January, and uh, with our government, I want to invite us this morning to think about our identity. Because when we think about who we are, it helps us live our lives with a little bit more focus and a little bit more clarity. So what does it look like for us in this particular time to follow Christ as our leader? And where might Christ be wanting us to go? What might he be wanting us to do? So let's pray. Oh Lord, we gather here. We come to listen to your word. So that you would perhaps remind us again of who we are and how it is that you call us to live. And so would you speak into us, into our lives in ways that we could hear and respond in faith. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The second, second reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 12. Now when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah would be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Amen. Matthew is here quoting from the book of Isaiah. We're at the beginning of his gospel, chapter 4 of 28 chapters. Most of Matthew's gospel is about the ministry of Jesus, about his healings and his miracles and his teachings. But Matthew begins telling us about the ministry of Jesus by telling us a little bit about his identity. He wants us to know who this Jesus is. First century Jews knew their history. They studied it, they retold it, they memorized. And so when Matthew quotes this section from Isaiah, he could have stopped at the first verse, and they would have known what he was going to say. Kind of like if I said, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We know that song so well, it's forever lodged in our minds, right? 
Well, that's how well they knew their scripture and their history. It was all in their minds. He was writing to a very educated, wealthy group of Gentile and Jewish Christians to help them better understand who they were and what it is that they believed. These were terrible times for first century Jews. They had recently revolted, again, against their Roman occupiers, but it had been unsuccessful. And in the process, the temple, their temple, had been destroyed. It's hard to explain just how devastating this would have been for them, because for the Jews, God lived in the temple. That was God's house on earth. And so if the temple was gone, it was as if God was gone. To say that they were depressed and confused is an understatement. They're trying to make sense of their reality and discern how to live in these most difficult of times. Matthew encourages them by making a connection between the scripture that they knew so well, the story of the prophecy of Isaiah, and the person of Jesus. He says, Jesus is this light that is dawning in the darkness. Let's listen to the second part of the reading. He continues at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed them. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. So here by the sea, the Sea of Galilee, Jesus begins his ministry. Repent, he says, meaning change, turn around, it's time for a new life direction. Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is near. And so, Matthew tells us, some people did just that. First, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and then James and his brother John. These guys are in the middle of their day's work, messing with the nets. James and John are with their father Zebedee. All of them are ordinary, humble fishermen doing their work. They may even have been day laborers working from paycheck to paycheck. Jesus is on the shore. He yells out, come, follow me. They leave everything, and they go. Now, Jesus was a rabbi, a Jewish religious teacher, and there were lots of rabbis in the first century, each one a little bit different. Young Jewish boys who wanted to be a rabbi would study and learn and study and learn, hoping to grow up and make the cut to be a rabbi. It was possible, though, that a boy could study and spend years trying to make the cut, but at the time, the rabbi would say to the young student of the Torah, 
You know, you're a great student, but you just don't have what it takes to be a rabbi like me. So go home and learn your father's trade. And it's possible that this is what exactly what would have happened for Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They hadn't made the cut, so they were home learning their father's trade, working as fishermen. Jesus, however, is an entirely different kind of rabbi. In this story, we don't find him interviewing the students. He evidently doesn't want the best of the best. He wants that C or B student, the one who's average. He's building some sort of a JV team, you might say. <laughs> Let this be an encouragement to us. Jesus doesn't want the best of the best. He wants those who are open, who are willing, who are desiring to be with him and to follow him. Jesus calls out to these first disciples, and they come. He, it's significant that he doesn't tell them to believe certain things. He doesn't tell them they have to adhere to a certain political doctrine or set of assumptions. He doesn't even tell them to accept him as their personal Lord and Savior. He simply gives them an invitation to come, and they come. It's also significant that they don't find Jesus. Jesus finds them. Sometimes there is talk about finding God, of finding Jesus. But here in this story of the first church, this first gathering of believers, as Matthew tells it, the disciples are the ones found by Jesus. Sometimes it is the case that our faith has a feeling of being found by God. Maybe in a place of despair, there's a ray of hope and we feel like God has found us in our despair. Or maybe you've had the experience of hiking to the top of a mountain or overlooking a beautiful vista, maybe the ocean or something, and you're suddenly speechless and you feel like God has found you in his glory and his beauty in that space. Maybe, maybe the Christian journey is really about putting ourselves in postures of being found by God. Putting ourselves in places with people, in postures of the heart, with books and teachers and the scripture in prayer to allow ourselves to be found by God. This church is called Light Shine for a reason, because, obviously, we're seeking to be about light, shining light. And if we're to be people who shine light, who metaphorically hang up our Christmas lights all year long, then we must develop a way of life that faithfully is filled with light. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. You are the light of the world, like a lamp. But my living room lamp doesn't work unless I plug it into the outlet. On its own, it gives me absolutely no light. If I want to read at night and the lamp is not plugged in, 
It's a nice looking piece of furniture, maybe, but it's absolutely useless to me. But if it's plugged into the outlet, then of course the magic happens. It lights up the room so I can read a book, see my food, see the wrinkles on Jeff's face. <laughs> Same with us, right? We must faithfully plug into our source if we are to shed and share light. In 1989, there was a big earthquake in San Francisco, in the San Francisco area. This is the one that happened just moments before the World Series. I was growing up in Sunnyvale at the time, and while it's now decades ago, it's one of those experiences that, of course, I will never forget. The earthquake happened in the afternoon, and I remember that um, that evening, once the sun went down, everything went completely dark. You couldn't see anything. You couldn't see inside the houses. You couldn't see down the street. It was black as black, dark as dark could be. Because the power was out. And this was before cell phone days, which I know is hard to remember for those who were born after those days. But we didn't even have those little lights that are on our phones. It was a ghost town. And I remember that our family got into the car. I don't remember where we were going. But uh, we got into the car that night, we were driving around, and I remember that as we drove around the neighborhood, there was one light that was very, very bright, and it was high up in the sky, and it was the large M of the McDonald's. Why they had a generator and nobody else did, I'll never know, but it was very bright, and it was very high and of course people were flocking to this light to get some food and to get some beverages and of course to be um, together. Being together in the darkness definitely beats being alone. And we didn't go into McDonald's, but I remember as we drove by, it, w it was packed because people were drawn to the light. People are always drawn to the light because light illumines the darkness it doesn't dispel the darkness, but it does dispel the fear of darkness. Our bearded dragon lizard, Alex's bearded dragon lizard, lives because of her lights. She's a relatively simple pet, as long as her somewhat complicated light system is working. She's got the UVB light for the vitamins. Does anybody else have a bearded dragon? <laughs> <laughs> UVB is her vitamin. She's got the basking light. She needs it to be very hot. And then uh, every now and then, not right now because it's broken, she has a red light which keeps, uh, which stays on all the time when the other lights go off at night to give her a little extra warmth um, during the night. And these lights together, they give her um, her energy and her life. Well, to be a Christian, to be a Christ follower, is to believe that this is what Christ does for us. He gives us our energy, our life. In Christ, we find our perspective. We find our forgiveness. We receive encouragement. We find our joy in Christ. We find our peace. We find the love of God. And so the orientation of our lives must first always be one of plugging into our light source, plugging into Christ,
to bask in his light, to recharge our batteries, to be companioned by him in our own darkness. Jesus is the light that gives us life. This, my friends, this is the good news that we have to share with the world, that it's not about us. Isn't that the best news? But it's about Christ living with us, in us, and through us. Thanks be to God for that. So as we begin this new season, I want to offer two suggestions for us. Two intentions, we might call them. The first is, let us make it a priority to plug in to Christ, to nurture our relationship with Him. For in Christ we remember who we are. That's how we come back to our identity, remembering what we're all about. We are God's beloved people, called to abide with him and to share his love. But we cannot do this on our own. Think of yourself as a lamp. You can only share light if you're plugged into the source. There are an infinite amount of ways to plug into Christ. Since it's a new year, I want to invite us to think about maybe trying something new. Maybe there's a new devotional book or maybe um, a new scripture you might uh, spend some time pondering, maybe even memorizing. Some people take prayer walks in the beauty of creation. Some people walk and pray the lap. Some people find a, what's that? Yoga. Some people try holy yoga. That's right. Uh, yeah, certainly that is uh, one of the reasons I am offering uh, this next week, this week, is to help us plug in more deeply to our source. Of course it's about health, but mostly it's about our spiritual health, being more deeply rooted and more deeply grounded in who we are. So think about that. You might think about um, how you might um, nurture and strengthen the, the light of Christ within you so that you have a brighter, a stronger, more grounded light to offer to others. A second suggestion is to commit to being light in the dark. Not to stay in the light, but to follow Christ into the darkness in some way. Jesus said he came not for the healthy, but for the sick. He came to be light in our darkness, in the darkness of the world. And we're called to do the same, to enter the pain and suffering of our neighbor, our world family. To listen to the cries for justice and to use our time, our money, our energy to work for a more fair and peaceful world. Maybe just to pay more attention to how, in whatever small way, we might be a blessing to someone. Always remembering that song, that it only takes a small spark to get a fire going. You might think about a time in your life when somebody sent you a card or just picked up the phone or sent you an email. It was a small effort, but it gave you, hopefully, perhaps, a great amount of encouragement. Never underestimate the small things that we might do for others. Barack Obama, in his final speech to the nation, said, if there's something that's bothering you, something that makes you angry or disturbed at any level at all, then stop complaining and go out and do something. It was a call to get engaged, to get engaged in the world. 
in the words of Gandhi, to be the change that you want to see in the world. Or in the words of Jesus and the prayer that he taught us to say, which we say every week, to work for thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. As crazy as it may seem to us, this is God's plan for the redemption of the world as we hear it in Scripture. The plan is you and me, not alone, but Christ living in and through and among us, using our simple efforts to transform and change the world. Psalm 27 proclaims, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? In the days and years ahead, may God grant us the wisdom, the discernment, and the courage to be a Christ-illumined, Christ-following people as we boldly seek to share light and hope to a world in you.